Hello, everybody. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance, and today is round number 25 of the game. Mike will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. He has 15 minutes to complete the case and has no idea what the case is ahead of time. These cases were created by me. They're not derived from actual ABM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. I was trying to freak you out there a little bit, Mike, but it, I don't know how you felt. I was like, <laughs> is this going to be the 30-minute one? Because you know it's coming, but this is not it. <laughs> is the 30-minute a triple? Is that what that is? Yeah, it'll be a triple. Okay. Anyways, one day, when you least expect it, <laughs> when you're very fatigued and tired, not when you're fresh, you know, uh, that would be Of course not. Mike, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you. Outline a human body on the left side of it and let me know when you are ready. Let's do it. All right. Let me get my timer started here. Dr. Estefan, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? No, my friend. Let's go. All right. Let's begin. Your time starts now. Dr. Estefan. You are working at Clerkship General when the nurse yells out, Doc, I need some Ativan. Need you out in triage. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I walk out in triage. What do I see? Um, you see a middle-aged male, and he uh, is appears to be seizing. Okay. Um, like on the floor? He is laying on the floor of triage, yep. Okay. And... He's kind of like right out in the lobby. He was, it looks like he was kind of maybe walking in and he just fell down and started seizing. Okay. Um, let's see. What do we know about him? Can we like pull up medical records? What was his chief complaint to his check-in, his triage stuff? Yeah, family members like, you know, Doc, he's just been vomiting. He's been vomiting, vomiting, vomiting for like a day. And that's what brought him in? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and what do I see? Like, is he convulsing all four extremities? Yeah, you see him. He is, um, convulsing all four extremities. He's got a little bit of foam around his mouth. His lips are blue. Um, do we have access on him? Um, yes. Oh, great. Um. Nurse already threw it in. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's, let's stick this guy in some, uh, portable oxygen and, uh, we can get two of Ativan ready, and let's try to get him to the resuscitation bay if possible. All right, so he has been moved to the resuscitation bay, and um, he has been started on two liters nasal cannula. Uh, you can you can bump that up to like I don't know six eight liters. Just just crank it. Eight liters nasal cannula. Sounds good. Um, and family member, does he have any allergies to medications or anything like that? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right, we can give the two of Ativan. Two milligrams of Ativan given. Okay. Um, still talking to family member, chart review, etc. Um, so what medical problems does he have? In, uh, it's the patient's father, by the way. But, patient's uh, what he, yeah, um, I, I don't think he has any medical problems. He's not really a doctor kind of guy. Okay, no allergies to medications. His only symptom was vomiting. Yeah, he's just been vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. Okay. Has he been involved in any traumatic accidents or anything like that recently? No. Okay. Um, anyone else sick at home? No. No recent antibiotics, no recent travels? Nope. Was he compl- was he having diarrhea at all? 
I I guess I didn't ask him. I didn't think so. He's just been okay. just been hugging the toilet. All right. Well, let's get a second line in this guy, and let's get a set of vitals, and let's get him undressed. All right. So you got a second line started. Um, tech cuts off the clothes. Vitals, heart rate 97, respiratory rate 16, blood pressure uh, 120 over 80, O2 saturation 90%. 90%. And can we get a temp? Um, yeah, 99. Okay. And um, brief exam, so he's completely undressed. Um, what do I see? Um, what are you looking for? Is um, he a seizing patient? Okay. Uh, skin changes. Any bruising, rashes? Um, he has some bruising over his shoulder. Which shoulder? Left. Any deformities? Um, maybe, yeah, the left shoulder looks a little off. Okay. All right. Um, pupils? Um, equal round, reactive. Okay. Um, let's get him in a C collar. I, well, is he still seizing? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, let's give him two more of Ativan. Two more um, of uh, two more milligrams of IV Ativan Correct. is given. We can call pharmacy to get some Kepra. Pharmacy's at bedside. They heard the commotion. How much Kepra do you want? Yeah. Um. Do we do we have a weight on this guy? Yeah, Seventy kilos. Seventy kilos. What's weight based dosing for loading Kepra, or I should say, liver teracetam? Uh, for just seizures um so i think you can go up to 4.5 grams okay let's 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 just uh let's get it ready at bedside if he doesn't respond to this out of end then we'll start giving it all right so we have kept ready at bedside and we are not giving it um okay we wait a little bit any response to the out of end he stops seizing oh great okay um I re-examine the patient. Um, how's he? Is he postictal? Is he confused? He stopped seizing. He's still kind of got that foamish, bluish lip look around his mouth. Um, his eyes are closed. Okay. Repeat set of vitals. Um, heart rate is 97. Respiratory rate is 16. Blood pressure 120 over 80. O2 saturation is 89%. And he's still on the 8 liters. Huh. All right. Let's uh let's stick a non-rebreather on him, just in case this goes south. I guess. Um, I guess we should start sending labs off. Um, let's see. Let's send off. Let's see. He was afebrile. He's seizing. He's got a shoulder deformity. Um, let's send off a CBC, BMP. LFTs, coags. Um, I don't know how bad the deformity is, so why not get a type in screen? In case this is like a, it would have to be a pretty bad like open fracture to need surgery right now. But um, let's see. Let's get a chest X-ray, an EKG, a urine. Oh my gosh, I forgot NACU-check. Can we get NACU-check in this guy? Oh my god. And his finger stick blood glucose is... Oh, they're having trouble getting it to work. Hold on. Oh, let's see here. 89. 
89. Oh my god. I'm just drawing it out for you. Uh, this this is what happens when I just I literally wake up to do this case. <laughs> um, the nurse wants to clarify. So you want a CBC, BMP, LFTs, coags, um, type and screen, chest X-ray, and EKG. Uh, let's get a urine. Let's get. Um, I'll put in the head CT for him. Um, a left shoulder X-ray. Let me finish my exam on him now that he is stopped seizing. Okay, um, but that's stuff for now. Um, does he have any midline spinal tenderness? Um, does not appear so. I said he's a little out of it. Okay. Um, does he react to me mashing on his belly? Yeah, he goes, oh, he's starting to wake up a little. Doesn't seem to cause him too much pain, though. Okay. All right. Pelvis grossly stable. Yes. Um, and I see you sent over a bunch of things. His CBC is notable for a white count of 11 and a hemoglobin of 12.8. His platelets are normal. Oh, that's that's really bad. That's really bad. Why is this sodium 105 with a normal glucose? <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Um, his coags are all normal. He has elevated liver function enzymes, AST greater than ALT. His AST is 150. His ALT is 50. His EKG is normal sinus rhythm. His chest x-ray shows no acute abnormality. Ah, uh, shoot. The shoulder is definitely dislocated, but I'm terrible at reading plain films. I think it's anterior, but I don't know. It could be posterior. He just had a seizure. Maybe it's posterior. I think it's posterior. He just had a seizure. We're going to go with that. And for everyone that's listening right now, we're doing it a little different to make it more like test day. I sent over the labs individually, so he has to actually read through a printout like you normally would. I don't just yes. tell him what Ta- to... Taking a little more time. Let's, uh... <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Is he still altered? Um, He just started seizing again. Okay. Let's, uh, let's give some hypertonic saline. Um... We could do, I guess, let's talk to pharmacy for 3% saline. Yeah, what do you want? You want 3% saline? How much? Yeah. Um, I don't know. What's our typical dose? 150 mLs. 150 mLs. Okay. All right. Let's let's do that. Hypertonic saline. Um, And he definitely needs a uh, head CT sooner than later. They wish him off to head CT, and it is normal. And then the shoulder. Is this a posterior dislocation? Man, I'm so bad at shoulders. That's why, that's why I just put it in the case. <laughs> it seemed fun. Okay. Did he respond to the, the 3%? Um, yes, he stopped seizing. All right. Um, let us revital him. Okay. Um, heart rate is 96, respiratory rate is 18, blood pressure is 120 over 80, O2 saturation is 90%. 98%? 90. 90. 90. What? I never listened to his lungs. What do I hear? Uh, they're clear. Okay. That's just weird. Why is he... Why is he 90%? Can we get a, like, an ABG on him? <laughs> It's clear lungs. I didn't see a pneumothorax. It's 
not in any respiratory distress. 737, 47, 24, with a PAO2 of 90. His blood gas saturation says 98%. Yeah, it's because I only made it for a normal oxygen, which this patient does not have. Falsely isolated. It's 90%. Okay, it's 90%. Okay, you were... I was starting to think like, hey, is this is this something weird? Like met hemoglobinemia or something like that. Um Man, I I really don't know why he's not oxygenating. He has clear lungs, his hemoglobin was fine. Um I mean, let's let's send off like a car- carboxyhemoglobin. What else? Hyponatremia with Causing seizures. Charge nurse comes up to you and says, we got ICU coming to bedside here. I just called them to get, got to get them upstairs. Anything, any last things you want to do? Um, well, he, he's got a shoulder deformity. How's his neurovascular exam on his left upper extremity? What are you looking for? Uh, pulses, sensation. Pulses intact, sensation intact. I'm not going to be able to reduce this. I, I have no idea how to reduce a posterior shoulder. Uh, this would be a on Google on, on shift. So let's let's admit him to that. the ICU. All right. Patient's admitted. That ends your case. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah, right. Um, so we have a lot to talk about. But before we go through how you did, let's uh, give a quick shout out to our sponsor for the month, Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability in life insurance agent. Stephanie Pearson was a practicing OBGYN who got injured while at work. And she had assumed and had taken for granted that between her uh, employer's disability insurance policy that she had through work, through workman's comp, because remember she got injured at work, that she was going to be covered but unfortunately it was not that simple and you can if you set up an, a, to talk with her and um, she'll tell you the whole story but this turns into a giant cluster basically and in the course of having to advocate herself uh, she basically became a self-taught expert on disability insurance uh, which is the type of insurance that she learned the hard way is very much more complicated than you might expect Um she is now, and I can say this, this, I'm now going off strip, but I just got the, to meet her a couple weeks ago. She is one of the, she is so passionate about disability insurance. You can tell that this experience really drives her and that she, she truly, she gave a lecture at my hospital. You can tell that she's kind of like mama bear. Like she's not just trying to sell a policy. Like she legitimately just wants to get you so that the same thing doesn't happen to you that happened to her. And it's like what drives her. She's a great, in my opinion, she's probably I don't have anything to quantify this, but she's got to be like the best disability insurance agent out there specifically for doctors. So don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until you get disabled or something happens or the doctor says, Hey, you know, we're concerned you developed cancer, some sort of neurologic disease or something. Um, just go to www.pearsonrabbits.com, fill out the contact info in on there, set up a meeting with her, get all your questions about disability insurance answered. Don't wait until it's too late. Um, so thank you to Pearson Rabbits for sponsoring this uh, episode. So now let's talk about our case. All right, Mike, how do you think it went? Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Now, now I'm looking at the x-ray again. Now I'm like, I think this is anterior, not posterior. But good. It wasn't anterior, by the way. And why did you jump to posterior right away? 
Because I mean, the cl- it's classic, right? The seizing yeah. patient. It's either a seizure or a lightning strike that causes a posterior. And I thought you were mm-hmm. trying to throw a, a big wrench in my, my socket. Um, but, you know. Yeah, and that's, that's more um, the convulsions or pulling the shoulders back kind of a thing is my understanding. I actually, have I seen a posterior before? Might have seen one. I'm not sure I've seen one as an attending. Um, but it was bruised in the story with this was he kind of fell to the floor when he was having seizure in the lobby and hurt his, you know, popped out his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of more of like a, a anterior shoulder reduction. I thought that'd be fun. I haven't made you read any extremity x-rays yet, which they certainly will when you do your boards. Mm-hmm. Um, but go through the case. Tell me what you think was going on. Tell me your mindset. Because there's a few. I was trying to take notes, but I kind of want to go through it from the beginning just to to kind of see what happened here. So guy comes in, starts seizing in the waiting room. First thing I should have done was get an Aki check, but I did not. Um, Correct. He magically had access, so we gave him Adam yep. in. Um, he was hypoxic, and I really still don't know why, which okay. uh, I, I, I still don't know why. But um, he ended up being quite hyponatremic. Um, and in the setting of seizures or altered mental status, the treatment would be 3% saline. Good. So let's, let's take off, let's do the lip thing here. The, the, cause I, I think both times I said, you know, he's kind of just foaming and his lips are a little blue. He's kind of got that, which you will see if you have a patient who's seizing in front of you, like they, they just kind of, that's just what it looks like. Um, there is one thing in your ABC's IVO2 monitor glucose kind of startup that you missed. You went straight to oxygen. Can you think of anything you could have done that would have helped the patient get that airway positioning? Right. You didn't do anything for airway. Um, I'm not saying you have to intubate, intubate them. That's certainly actually not what you probably have to do for seizures because it's such a, it tends to be the type of thing where they're a little post-dictal and they wake up over a minute or two and and intubating them is not the right play. Right. But um, frequently these patients will need suctioning. You do, if you're out in the, you know, whatever. I just went to Vegas. So if you're in a position, you know, on an airplane or something, you position them so that they're kind of, you know, the drool comes out the side of their face type of a thing. You can jaw thrust them. You can, I probably wouldn't chin lift this guy because of the trauma. Um, But maneuvers to open up their airway, you will find that patients will frequently when they're seizing, it's more of an airway thing just because they don't have tone and things like that. And they're just tongue and everything's collapsed back. So if you just suction them, kind of prop things up, then in a minute or two, they kind of push your hand away and they're good. Um, But you never really did anything to verbalize um, even basic things to control the airway, which you do need to do. Um, So that was why just simply doing the oxygen was not working for you. Got it. Okay. That's what I was going for. You know, that was, that was that. Um, I think that was a big part of two. It threw you off. Um, (laughs) So I'm trying to think here. So we did our ABCs. We missed airway. You did the breathing. You got your vitals repeatedly. So that was good. And that's good habit. Just like, am I missing something on the vital signs or something like that? You were delayed on the glucose. And then you, um, you could have done a little more on the history, I guess. Um, you didn't get, let's see, you got medical histories, uh, surgical allergies. Did you ask medications? I think you did. Yeah, no medications. Um, and then you never asked social history. No. And so he was a daily drinker um, type of a thing. So he was definitely that's, alcoholic. That's why his AST is elevated. That's what I was thinking, but. 
Yeah, and his uh, blood alcohol level was also elevated. He just didn't see it. Um, oh, I missed that. It was on the bottom of the talks. And so the you could have maybe gotten some clues there, at least with the causes of the hyponatremia. Um, frequently out, uh, people who drink alcohol. I don't know if it's more related to just the fluid intake. I guess I don't know the physiology of it. I'm going to read more about that. But I feel like people who drink alcohol daily, the true alcoholics have a, can run on pretty low sodium. I've seen some cases related to that. Um, yeah, beer, uh, beer drinkers, pedomania, as they call it. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting because as I was going through this, it wasn't on like the classic differential diagnosis in the hyponatremia chapters where I feel like I've had at least one true like seizing beer drinkers, potomania case, um, so far. And it was crazy. It was, you know, fun story, but I'm in the room. It was one of the only times, well, I sometimes swear in front of patients. I try not to, but the only time I swore and it was like, you know, out loud and the family looked at me like, Oh no, what's going to (laughs) happen. But the patient was pacing around the room there with a family and, um, was clearly drinking alcohol and stuff. And I go to reassess the patient, and in front of me, his pupil dilates. Like, one pupil dilates. It was the weirdest oh, thing. No. So all of a sudden, he has a single dilated pupil. I look him in the face, and I go like, oh, shit. And he just collapses to the ground and goes into what I thought was cardiac arrest, which I think was more of like a PEA arrest because he's a big guy. Anyways, <laughs> it was the one time. It was a, and it, his sodium was like 100, you know. <laughs> so Oh, my God. I think, again, I think it was a PE. I think he was more seizing, and then he was kind of like in a PEA type thing, just where you couldn't really get a good pulse because of how big he was. I think it was more of that type of thing. Um, I see. I, I th- And I think that the pupil is the neuro. Like, I think that was part of his seizure was, like, the pupil dilating. I don't know. I it was terrifying. <laughs> it's not what you want to see when you're like doing your, how are you feeling? Oh shit. <laughs> and I had like five seconds before he went down. So it was, it was like the timing of it anyways. Um, but yeah, beer drinkers, protomania. And so you did the right treatment for it. Um, you gave the IV benzodiazepine. Now, interestingly, I, th- you know, benzodiazepine is such a funny, funny medicine. So, um, Nurses will frequently just give it to any patient who's seizing because they're not used to patient seizing in front of you. And I think the technical by the book answer is is you don't even have to necessarily give it like immediately. Like if you ask the book, right? Because think about all the people that have a seizure and they're in you know on a bus or something, right? And um, they they don't have benzodiazepines, but that's why everyone calls the ambulance because they're freaking out because it's super scary looking. And so when it actually happens in the ER in front of you and it's not a patient who's post-dictal, everyone freaks out. They're like, oh, I need to get out of van or something. When in reality, most of them just stop. Although the caveat to that being usually patients aren't seizing for the first, like they're not in the department and they were there for, you know, vomiting and then they seize. You know, like, I guess that's a little more, you know, usually if they're already in the department and then they're seizing after they arrive to the department, like that's not a good thing. It's not like they're just having their normal seizure if they were already in the department for something, right? Yeah. Because even if they were, even if they had a seizure before and were fully woke up and had a seizure again, well, you're still going to be probably getting on benzodiazepines, even though they aren't technically status because they woke up. Like, still, you're going to be loading them with stuff. If they were had vomiting, like in this case, and they come in the department, now you started seizing. Well, the patient's just getting worse. Like, you're probably still going to be getting on medicines. It's not like they're like, I'm just here to get my turkey sandwich. And then they just like, oh, I guess I had my routine seizure. <laughs> you know, I don't need to get those. <laughs> but, yeah. um, the dosing for benzos is actually pretty aggressive, and I want to say it's 0.1 mg per kilogram is kind of the the dose, um, although most places will not let you give like 8 milligrams of Ativan straight up, you know, <laughs> 7 milligrams. Yeah. My practice is like 2 to 4. 
Yeah, but if you're if you have a if you have a patient who's in front of you and you're like, I this patient is in status, right? Like they came in by EMS and they were seizing and they're still seizing, you're going hits a four. Where this one, it's kind of like, oh, he just started seizing. Maybe I'll do two. I can repeat another two in a couple minutes. Very reasonable how that kind of works out. Um, But anyways, that's my whole thing on benzodiazepines. And that's why it's in the real world, it's not quite the same as what you would read in a book. Um, You loaded him, or actually you didn't load him with Keppra. You held that on the side. Um, I don't think you ever ended up actually giving that, Uh, which is is an appropriate agent to use. Hypertonic saline is the appropriate medicine for uh, hyponatremia, and um, it's 100, it's 150 mLs at three percent generally for an adult. So, okay, and you give it over 20 minutes, you can repeat it. Um, what is the main complication of giving hypertonic saline that everyone freaks out about? Um, overcorrecting the sodium too fast so let's see causing from low to high the pons dies so central pontine myelinolysis yeah um and so that's why you and this is a real thing and so you have to be careful now in a patient who's seizing from their low sodium that's pretty severe symptoms and so you you are giving hypertonic saline and then you can even repeat the hypertonic saline after checking a sodium like so you're still you you have to treat it but you you don't want to just treat it just because their sodium's low if that makes sense for everyone that's listening out there, if they're just like a little confused or something, you stumble on this and they're like not seizing. They're not like completely gonked out of their mind. You know, like they're just kind of sitting there like, I feel funny. Like you shouldn't be giving them hypertonics for that. Generally, you know, you correct it more slowly, but, um, yeah. So hypertonic saline 3%. And then you diagnose the anterior shoulder dislocation pretty, or you diagnose shoulder injury early by seeing the <laughs> yeah. bruising, seeing the deformity. You struggled Let's on the x-ray too much. Too much credit there. <laughs> you struggled the x-ray, and um, you should have reduced it um, once you kind of interpreted it. And so that's one thing that will throw you off on the test is you're so used to being in an academic institution generally with a residency where you can consult people like that for this. Um, and you could have potentially – it would have been a great time to try to put in a shoulder. I suppose if his, you're not quite sure what's going on with his oxygen, but – you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, out of it. So you, he's probably pretty loosey goosey. He could probably slide it back in. Um, <laughs> and I would have taken, I was disappointed. I spent like, you know, at least an hour last night reading every possible anterior. Cause I wasn't sure which technique you would use. And I had to be prepared oh. for all of them. <laughs> and then you just didn't even do it. You're killing me. So how would you have reduced a shoulder? Cause so in, I, on test day, you will have to verbalize, you know, and so it's going to be weird, <laughs> right? Like you would have to yeah. verbalize how to reduce a shoulder. Yeah, so I I've recently become a big fan of the park method. Have you ever used the park method? I uh, that wasn't even in one of the ten that I read last night. So you'll have to teach me. Teach me. I love shoulder. I love shoulder. It's one of my favorite diagnoses. I love putting shoulders in without sedation. It makes me feel like it's a, so fun. a champ. Yep. So what is the method? So for the park method, you have the patient sitting upright, and you have them flex at the elbow at ninety degrees have the forearm supinated, and then you put your fist in their armpit to act as the fulcrum. With your other hand, you grab their antecubital fossa as well as their lateral epicondyle, and you pull down, so inferior traction, while pushing medially, so like an adduction force, um, to kind of lift the head of the humerus over the the ridge of the glenoid fossa i'll include a link in our uh show notes on the website that 
has a video demonstration of this. Got it. So that's um, pretty close to how I do it, actually. I, my attending named it after himself, so I have to. I call it the the buyer technique, but it, you know, <laughs> somewhere and he's just like, oh, I named this after myself. Um, and the first time I did this, I actually did it with a program director who was like, "Oh, you want to do?" You know, was trying to check me off on a procedure, and I walk into a room with it was a pretty thin, you know person who would put out their shoulder and I just do this technique and I put their shoulder in like 15 seconds and my programmer goes I go into the room he goes how the hell did you do that because <laughs> he was like not expecting me just to go in the room and just put the shoulder in real quick um so interesting okay because in for everyone that's listening this is not one of the classic methods that you hear about I feel like in like Roberts and Hedges. But no. so what I do is I take the affected shoulder and I put their arms down at their, their arm down at their side and I bend their elbow. So it's at 90 degrees in front of them. Kind of like what you're saying. I take my other hand. So I have one hand kind of holding their elbow to kind of pull it and move it. And I take another hand. I stick it way up in their axilla. And it's exactly what you said. I just didn't have like an official name for it, but you use your hand kind of as a fulcrum a little bit. And you're trying to distract away the humeral head from the the body <laughs> help me out here <laughs> um, uh, anyways the other thing that I do is I do I do external rotation with it as well as I'm doing it which will also get you a, a couple you know a little bit of space and frequently for everyone that's listening you're trying to get the the patient's own shoulder to reduce itself just by maneuvering things so that their own intrinsic muscles just kind of pull it back um and so I do a little external rotation in combination with what you're saying. And um, I think on the test, if you were to have to have to describe this, unless you can either give the name of a method and then describe what the technique is, or you say some combination of um, I'm going to, you know, do some external rotation and, a, you know, you have the, those sorts of terms to try to walk through how you would reduce this shoulder. And I think they'd be pretty generous as long as you're somewhere within, you know, somewhere reasonable method that they'd probably just let it reduce. Um, the idea of this case being in the end, um, how to, again, work with a patient who can't provide too much history, but, um, what is the approach to a hyponatremic patient who's seizing how I wanted you to work through how you would articulate on a test day under time pressure, how you would reduce a shoulder. Cause I think it's, it's a harder procedure to walk through than, like intubation, right? Like you have to think Definitely. more of the terms you would use because the way that we're taught is very much watch what I do, right? And you just kind of copy. It's more, you have to, it's more visual than yeah. trying to just, so it's it's a good one as far as procedures to be able to articulate if you have one on your test. And then um, frequently at these cases, it'll be kind of a one obvious problem or semi-obvious problem, like the patient seizing, I got blood work back, oh, their sodium's really low, and then an occult problem. So a head injury or a spinal injury or, you know, that sort of thing, that sort of one-two combo is going to be very common. And so I was looking for what that hidden thing is, which you found right away. Um, so that's that's uh, that. I think that this case would have gone very poorly for you. Um, yeah. You ran out of time. There is parts of the critical actions that you didn't really get to. And so I think this would have been a tough case. Um, my critical actions that I had down, actually, number one was assess the airway, either doing suction or jaw thrust or whatever. Um, two was give IV benzodiazepines. Three was give hypertonic saline. Four was diagnose the occult um, shoulder dislocation. And five is describe a shoulder uh, reduction procedure. 
Um, so you would have missed a couple of those. I think this would have been a tough case, but that's why we do this. Anyways, um, but that's what we got for this case. Any other final thoughts or questions, Mike? Yeah, no, I think we covered most of it. Um, I just need to be a lot better at verbalizing things that happen automatically in real life, like the airway maneuvers, for example. Yeah. How is residency going? Residency is going well. I think the hardest part about being a third year is the expectation that comes with being a third year. You know, I'm so close to graduating and being an attending and everyone expects you to have all the right answers and basically to know pretty much everything. Um, but that's certainly not the case. I definitely don't know everything and I still have, you know, 10 months left. So I, I think that's the most stressful part. But other than that, residency is going great. You're, you're almost done, man. You're wrapping up. You're in your last year. It's exciting. 10 more months. All right. Well, um, anybody, I'm sure, you know, there is a lot in this episode. So if you guys have any comments or questions, feel free to email either of us, um, Mike, M-I-K-E or Zach, Z-A-C-K at emclerkship.com. And we'll try to get back to you. We get a lot of emails, but usually I feel like we get back to most of them. Um, if I said anything stupid or anything like that, I am always open to, to learning other methods or other other mindsets on this and but with that said check out our sponsor again pearson rabbits insurance and until next time keep working hard keep studying and be sure to enjoy your shift